The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The all-new Hyundai Santa Fe's features ensure that you can take on any adventure. What kind of features? Well, how about the available H-Track all-wheel drive so you can take on the dirt trails and kick up some mud? Or the standard third-row seating so your whole family can experience the thrill together? How about available dual wireless charging pads so no one gets stuck in the great outdoors with a dead phone? We're always trying to think about those great spring and summer getaways, but with a car like the Hyundai Santa Fe, anywhere can be your next adventure. To learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe, go to HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for complete details. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for complete details. Welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast with your hosts, Chip Patterson, Tom Fernelli, Danny Cannell, and Bud Elliott. It's your call for the best college football coverage from National Signing Day to the National Championship and everything in between. CBS Sports presents the Cover 3 Podcast. And welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast here on CBS Sports. That's Tom Fernelli. That's Danny Cannell. That's Bud Elliott. I'm Chip Patterson. Time to dig in on the Pac-12 South. Pac-12 North. Go catch it in your feed. Dropped it last week uh, on the other side of the mailbag. Reminder, mailbag's open. We've been getting uh, a good little flow. Seems like as we're really digging into the offseason, a lot of excitement, a lot of good questions coming in. As always, a five-star review. Then in that review, include your question for the big old bag of mail. We will include it in a future mailbag episode. So be sure to do that because we're just going to keep them coming, baby, all off season long. There was a killer question. We got to figure out where to slot it, but we're going to be doing some drafts. I mean, you guys know how we do it here on the off season, but there was a suggestion for an Oklahoma drill draft. Okay, guys, I'll send out the parameters, but go ahead and start putting together, start putting together your big board mindset for the Oklahoma drill draft. That will be more than just a, a mailbag question. We'll, we'll flex that one out into uh, daggum near a whole episode. So uh, all good stuff to look forward to. And of course, when we wrap up spring gleaning, which we will not be doing today, we will be doing after we hit uh, Notre Dame, some of the independents, group of fives. That'll be coming up next. Then we will be putting a bow on spring gleaning, turning our attention to the NFL draft, as well as some of these fun off-season topics. Uh, before we dig in on, and that's three dig-in references. I got to throw that one out. That's canceled. Um, anybody catch uh, Clemson spring game? Nope. I'll tell you what. <laughs> I'll tell you what. DJ. Well, if DJ gets hurt, they're in trouble. Because <laughs> that was the lesson you took away from it. Because I took it like reading up on everything was like DJ looked awesome. Yeah, I mean the well, the number one thing is that Joseph Nagata looks finally healthy and he looks like he's going to be a problem, and that is awesome. And a Joe, a Joe, uh, the super athletic Canadian, he was he had over a hundred yards receiving. Uh, but Ty Fomachan, the backup, the number two to DJ Uyunglele suffered a torn Achilles in the game. And it was after he, he had gotten off to a rough start, 
which was understandable. He'd missed a whole bunch of time in COVID protocol during spring practice. He'd only had one uh, live scrimmage. And then finally in the second half of the spring game, he starts to play well. He's linking up with a, a Joe, a Joe for a bunch of the, the success that that Clemson team had offensively. Then he goes down with an injury. I mean, there were only three quarterbacks active in the spring game. The other was Hunter Helms, AKA Hunter Hurst Helms. And I feel like, I don't know, man, underrated storyline about these Clemson Tigers. I don't wish injury on anyone, but quarterback depth like we, we might find ourselves in like a Chase Bryce versus Syracuse situation uh, if, uh, if if things get a little dicey. So I they'll think- be like Ohio State was the last few years because they were thin for a while. I mean, there were a couple times you're like, if Justin Fields gets hurt, they're screwed. And right. It worked out all right. So it'll be one of those situations. I think so. I think the, the biggest takeaway from all that to me is that I didn't realize you had like old WWE references in the back. <laughs> Hunter Hurst Helms. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's all he was. I he was. I think I've ever heard you mention wrestling before. So that coming out of nowhere to me, I was like, oh, all right. Any, it's got to be pre two thousand, pre two thousand. I think for me to for to me to connect on it. I don't have anything uh, in the twenty first century. But we did mention a Joe Joe in our spring cleaning episode on Clemson. So if you guys had listened to that, I mean, we we said look, DJ's a dude. They won't have that much drop off. Probably we're looking okay on that. A Joe Joe, and they had to had either one of Latson or Nagata. Uh, step up. That sounds like a pretty positive spring. I've, I've got it on the DVR, or well, I guess I have cloud DVR now, or whatever. But um, I'll, I'll watch it at some point. But that that's good stuff for Clemson, with the exception of, of Fomichon's injury. Um, and uh, Ladson did not play. Justin Ross did not play, and still got great production out of the wide receivers, replacing Travis Etienne. The name that stands out to me is uh, Kobe Pace, but Dabo would not stop uh, raving about Mafa, right? The dude from Loganville, Georgia, played at Grayson. Big old, yeah. like strong freshman running back. He he had some good uh, some good running in the second half. So uh, that was the primary spring game of note. I think it might have been the only one of note this past past weekend. We'll be keeping our eyes on some of the action and delivering headlines um, in the episodes after. We begin in the Pac-12 South with the USC Trojans. 5-0 and during the limited regular season against uh, Pac-12 competition, then take a loss to Oregon in the Pac-12 championship game. They opt not to play in a bowl game, but so much to be excited about. Keaton Slovis, these wide receivers look like they're going to be absolutely tremendous. The defense seemed to take a little bit of a step forward as we saw that coaching staff shaken up just a little bit. Now, my burning question, and of course, we want to see where everyone's head is at on the Trojans, a team that should have expectations of competing for a Pac-12 championship. And if you want to get back on that narcotic, we can talk about them as a sleeper for the playoff. But they got to run the ball. They got a better offensive line play. Otherwise, we're talking about a team that is going to be uh, really exciting when it's clicking. But in those games against the best teams, when it's close, when they when there's not much margin for error, I think if they can't run the ball and if they can't uh, be really solid and those two things, running the ball and offensive line run together for me, then there's going to be a, a limit of what the ceiling can be. So the offensive line takes a step forward, then yeah, the ceiling is a playoff. If, uh, if not, then your ceiling is probably Pac-12 South title. We'll get into predictions and stuff much later on in the off season. But uh, what are we looking at when we look at this USC team for 2021? You know, as we mentioned, we talked about a lot on the on the North show. It's hard to know what to take away 
from the 2020 season in the Pac-12, just considering the circumstances and how short it was. But based on what we saw from USC, I think I think you hit a lot of things on the head there, Chip. The defense under Todd Orlando took a big step forward last year in a limited sample compared to what we'd seen in recent years as far as getting more pressure on opposing quarterbacks, forcing turnovers, all that kind of stuff. Offensively, I was kind of just not super impressed by the Trojans last year, especially with like the kind of hype we had with Graham Harrell going into another year as the offensive coordinator. I don't know if Kadan Slovis was like a hundred percent last season. I remember watching that, watching the Trojans play a few times last year and thinking to myself, he didn't look 100%. And obviously when it comes to like an air raid offense, there's always been a little bit of a dink and dunk aspect to it, but that, passing attack last year was very much dink and dunk. There weren't a lot of deep shots. And I think that really did hurt their impact of running the ball because I felt like defenses didn't feel the need to defend anything past 15 yards. So they were able to stay up near the line of scrimmage, which took away the running game. And you mentioned, you know, the the running game last year, they finished ninth in the Pac-12 in rushing success rate. They weren't very good at running the ball, period. So I do think that this is a team that's obviously talent-wise, recruiting-wise, it is still freaking USC and it is still like the kind of team you look at and say, all right, this is a team that should win the South. And if the offense does take those kind of steps forward, I think it will win the South. And then it becomes a legit contender to not only win the PAC 12, but reach the playoff. But I, I think you're right that we need to see, I need to see Kadon Slovis look better than he looked last year. I need to see that offense become more explosive than it was last year and take more deep shots. And I need to see a running game kind of develop. That's not just, something that you know oh crap we haven't run the ball in a while we better run it just to keep them honest you know I, I'm, I'm pretty high on this team uh for this year i, I agree with, with most of tom's points although i i don't know that they have to be able to run the ball better to win the pac-12 right i i think the pac-12 was winnable doing what they were doing they, they were they were pretty close to winning it you know last year they they threw the ball more than just about anybody in the country so like that that's a pretty big deal right i mean they, they if you're not that great at running the ball don't try just, just do what you are good at, and and it was kind of like like baseball, right? Some of these teams are now realizing, oh, your fastball sucks. Guess what? Throw eighty percent sliders, and it's actually really effective, you know, even against the best hitters in the world. Like, do what you do well, and they did throw the ball, you know, very well. I think they did a nice job of addressing the safety and defensive tackle positions in the portal. We'll, we'll see how those guys turn out, but they at least identified those needs. They have not, however gone and got a transfer offensive tackle, which get in line. Everybody in the country basically wants one of those. And when you get one, I mean, it's like Oklahoma got one and we're not even sure if he's good or if he's going to start. Right. So like, like there, those guys are typically not out there. If if you need offensive tackle help, if you need like high level offensive tackle help, probably not going to come to Tom's point about the arm strength though. uh, They did interview Slovis and I I forgot who had the quotes. It was was probably the peristyle our USC site. Um, he basically mentioned that like he didn't feel 100% last year and he worked with Tom House in the offseason to try to use use his legs more feels a little bit healthier uh, the reports out of practice so far are that he does look like he's got a little more zip so like that that's encouraging i agree with you when watching him last year i was like I don't know, man. Like, like I thought he had more, more spark to it. It's like, as, when did he become the soft tossing lefty out of the bullpen all of a sudden? Yeah, exactly. I think defensive, defensively, they're going to be really, really good in, in, in the back end. Um, I, I, I think, you know, safety and corner, they're pretty set. To me, I think it does come down offensive line if they want to take that next step going from, you know, good to great. But they're, they're already pretty good, I think. 
I, I think Slovis is incredibly talented. I mean, he's shown flashes of brilliance where I think next year we could be talking about him lead up to the draft as a first round pick. I think he's that good. Um, I, I mean, so, you know, talk about the run game. You wonder if it's, I mean, they were dead last in the Pac-12. They were only team in the Pac-12 didn't rush for at least 100 yards a game. They averaged 97. It did seem like they bailed on it. Um, they've got to bring more balance. The offensive line trying to fill in a tackle for one of their better players was Vera Tucker, who's going to be a draft pick here coming up. Uh, receiver they've lost, but, you know, remember the name Brew McCoy, the transfer, transfer, transfer guy from USC, Texas, back to uh, USC, you know, incredibly talented. He needs to take big steps, but it, you kind of look at it and you're like, all right, who else in the South has as much talent as this team, and you don't see a whole lot. I'll be curious to see what Graham Harrell does, though. Does he try to, like, kind of what Bud was saying, like, does he try to run the football more, or does he just bail on it and say, all right, we're going to chuck it around because we've got a great quarterback. Um, but I like the defense. So I, I think Slovis is not a bad option for a, a Heisman candidate. Like, we saw a movement last year to get somebody else that wasn't a quarterback to win it. I wouldn't be surprised if you had movement for some West Coast love this year. And if Slovis is the guy, uh, he's going to get the majority of the love and recognition for it. So I wouldn't be surprised if Slovis is in New York when everything is all said and done. And I think Pac- I think USC is that sleep sleeper team to make the playoff. You know, Pac-12, they've got to get some love here sooner or later. Uh, their schedule sets up more favorably than Oregon's because they don't play Ohio State. But, man, they better watch out for that San Jose State team the first game of the year. So, But I, I think this team has got all the work and to be a Pac-12 champion and make a run. That is nope. Danny's San Jose State Spartans. That's, That's your right. squad right there. What is my guy back? He is back, isn't he? Yeah. He Starkle. Did. Back <laughs> year for seven. another year. Yes. Year 17. <laughs> A question, a question for you, bud, because like we, we know the kind of impact that Kayvon Thibodeau had for Oregon a few years ago as a freshman. And now he's not there this spring, but he's going to be getting there this summer, this fall. Corey Foreman, is he somebody that could like he was obviously he's the number one player in the class. Is he somebody that's going to just show up on campus right away and already be one of the most impactful defenders in the conference? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I. I I didn't get to see him in person a lot because of the shutdown. And like you guys know how, how hard it was to travel. And mm-hmm. I thought CBS was pretty good about letting us travel compared to some companies. And I still didn't get to see him a lot in person. But the photos, the film, you know, he's going against high quality competition. He's destroying it. I mean, that, that's what the guys who make early impacts look like in high school. So, yeah, I, I think he's, he's somebody. And maybe because he didn't early enroll, you know, he doesn't make an instant impact in game one. But he's certainly somebody I think can give you a couple hundred impactful snaps. Uh I also like I was a little bit worried about them at receiver because you lose Amon Ross St. Brown and you lose Tyler Vons and, and both those guys are are probably going to be draft picks. And then I was looking at this and reading some practice reports on the peristyle. Josh Jackson has moved to corner. And like Josh Jackson's a really good athlete. So if they have, feel good enough about the receiver room that they're cool to move him to corner, I feel good about the receiver room because like you kind of got to like, wait a second. You're going to let Josh Jackson go play corner? despite the fact you lost two NFL receivers. So I think we should probably feel pretty good about that. My, my greater worry is lines of scrimmage with, with tackle replacing Vera Tucker. And then also, I mean, you, you got to replace Tefele and, and uh, um, oh shoot, what's his name? Uh, Marlon on the defensive interior. But I, I think they'll do an okay job of that. Drake London's a stud. Yeah. Brew McCoy, high ceiling, caught two touchdowns last year. Gary Bryant Jr., stud. Like I – 
I feel I feel good about that wide receiver room. And it's and then you pair it with the scheme, right? And that's how you see the the success sort of coming to be. Hey, what's going to be fascinating real quick is like if they go nine and three, like Helton's done, mm-hmm. like or are they going to hang on and one more run? Like because this feels like his year, right? Like it should all come together, and if it doesn't, I mean every single year he's on the hot seat. Like it feels like it. So it's kind of a make or break season, I think, for Helton. So on that, like we thought he was going to be on the hot seat last time, right? Prior to last year, and then I think everybody in the industry kind of figured out, ooh. Like the word kind of leaked out. His contract is like not fireable. Hmm. I mean, kind of like you know, Dino Babers. Oh, he he went two and ten. He ain't going anywhere, <laughs> right? Like like they're they they don't have that that kind of buyout money, or at least they didn't the last time they really wanted to consider buying him out. You know, remember they're all like, oh, well, James Franklin go to USC stuff. It turned out a lot of that was guys. This ain't happening because USC can't afford to fire. I'm interested to see how much money he actually has left on his deal. Hmm. Hey, cover three listeners. The baseball season is here. I mean, you heard us talking about soft tossing lefties, throwing 80% sliders. We're giving you all these good baseball ins. And if you want to dominate your fantasy baseball leagues, then you should be listening to Fantasy Baseball Today in five. Stay up to date with all the latest news, waiver wire advice, and pitchers to stream in just five minutes or less. Download and follow anywhere you listen to this podcast Colorado Buffalo three and one in the regular season four and two overall uh Carl Durrell exceeding expectations at the beginning of the season I think that those early wins got everybody's attention we saw Jarek Broussard emerge as one of the really shining stars throughout the Pac-12 little 5-9 running back dude can get it done but I think that this offense needs to be able to have something else because if it wasn't Jarek Broussard, Colorado wasn't getting much. Starting quarterback Sam Neuer, he's out for the spring. He won't even uh, be there as he continues to recover from shoulder surgery. That leaves backup Brandon Lewis and JT Shrout, who you might remember from Tennessee. Uh, they will be there. And, you know, Sam Neuer had some turnover issues late in the season. Got a little bit loose with the ball. It'll be interesting to see if either one of those two, Lewis or Shrout, might be able to take steps forward to really push Neuer for the starting job uh, into the fall. Defensively, we've got a little bit of a shakeup on the coaching staff. And so this Colorado team that I think the expectations were – Fairly low. Carl Durrell exceeds them. Now is this the the course correction year where, you know, maybe the the outcomes were a little bit, uh, part of the outcomes came as a result of sort of a unique season and an opportunity to to just go and get a couple wins real quickly because by the end of the year, I was not feeling as great about Colorado as I was a couple of games in. How are we feeling about them here in the spring? Not great. I think... This, listen, I, I love the Buffs. Enjoyed watching them last year. They definitely ex- exceeded expectations. But I think that of all the Pac-12 craziness that we saw in 2020, this was the team that got the most out of that chaos and got the most, you know, experienced the most success because of it. And I think that the Colorado team we saw in its final two games of the year, the one that lost to Utah and the one that lost to Texas in the bowl game, probably a lot closer to the team we're going to see in 2021 because even if you look at like the numbers of this offense last year 
They finished ninth in the conference in rushing success rate. They finished 11th in the conference in passing efficiency. They were just amazing in goal-to-go situations. So whenever they got there, they took advantage of it. They got touchdowns, and that really helped hide some of the other problems. The, a lot of the boomer bust nature to their offense, like you mentioned, Jarek Broussard, it was, there was a lot of nothing, 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 50 yard gain, nothing, 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 50 yard gain. So it's, it's hard to find consistent success doing that. And I think that going into the spring, that's gotta be on the offensive side of the ball, your main, you know, your goal to figure out a, if we have what we have at the quarterback position with Neuer out and B to find something that we could do besides just hand it off to Broussard and hope he breaks off a big play. They've got to find more consistent ways to get four five, six, seven yard chunks at a time. I agree with that. I, I, first of all, I, I do want to give them credit because that the, the Darrell hire was made so late in the year that like, yes, some of their record was, yeah, I don't know, a little bit smoke and mirrors, but not, I mean, like, I don't know if it was insanely smoke and mirrors. Do, do they finish with a, a winning Pac-12 record if they play a normal Pac-12 schedule? I have my doubts. Sure. They got, you know, Arizona late in the year back when, like when Arizona had totally quit. I mean, I think they were mostly quit early in the year, but then they were like quit, quit, you know, later on in the year. But I, I do want to give the, this coaching staff some credit here. Uh, if, if you look at Jared Lee's fourth down analysis, they were the only team in the Pac-12 to make the correct uh, decision as far as going for it, punting, or kicking 100% of the time. Nobody else in the league was over 65% of the time. So if you're looking for a team that is finding ways, yeah, like they're finding ways to to win above their talent level by not surrendering the ball, by by not giving up possessions. You know, they're, they're going for it, understanding that the value of the field position is not that much. Just go for it. You know, our defense, giving them the ball in a 15 as opposed to the 25, not that big of a deal. Uh, so I, I think that's maybe when we look at their kind of fundamentals, maybe they don't match up, but then they're finding other ways to win. This this could be some of Carl Durrell's NFL influence, looking at what the front offices are now feeding down you know, to their coaches. I, I thought they were really, really good against the run last year on a down-to-down basis, but they were dead last in rushing explosiveness allowed last year. So like if they didn't get that stop, that guy was going for 80. So that, that's something maybe they can clean up a little bit defensively I, I loved them they bring back most of their defense i i don't think this team's a totally like totally an automatic out but i don't know if i totally buy into what they were doing either well it's, yeah so what i hear from both of you is they absolutely overperformed maximized opportunities like squeezed which is awesome like that's a good thing uh, um they turned it over 11 times in 6 games seven of the giveaways were Neuer picks so uh, they need to clean that up. And I wouldn't be surprised, you know, if he possibly got Wally pipped here with you had somebody step up that was a little bit safer with the football. Maybe it's Trout coming in with some experience playing in the SEC. Maybe it's somebody else. But I don't know if that's a long-term answer. They were last in the Pac-12 in completion percentage. Uh, they were one of three teams with more interceptions than touchdowns. Um, so it wouldn't surprise me at all if maybe they're looking for more production. And I do think there's something to be said for winning you know like bringing some momentum because I think we we analyzed most people did we looked at the the coaching change more from the Michigan State landscape because Mark D'Antonio was retiring you know stepping down or whatever and it was late and then Colorado was putting up because Michigan State was put in a bad spot so was Colorado they were in a really tough st- a spot so for Carl Durrell to come in and do what he did um is pretty phenomenal. So you mentioned the defense getting a lot of their guys back, like still getting back 
uh, you know, getting more acclimated to that scheme. They've got most of the defense coming back. Like, yeah, I mean, I, I wouldn't pick them to finish second, but I wouldn't be shocked they got better quarterback play if they were right back in the hunt. I wouldn't pick them to finish top three, I don't think. Uh, <laughs> so, I don't, so I'm getting deeper I mean, in this. Well, listen, I, we're going to like be quickly moving through a bunch of teams that are, are going to, within the context of a nine-game Pac-12 schedule, they're going to be, what, five and four, four and five, and it's just going to be you know a couple of games that are going to separate uh, these, these teams that are right here in the middle of the division before we finally get to... Uh, a Kansas level, I don't know, uh, at the end of this podcast. But I do know about this next team because Utah was 3-2 and two last year. Um, and they were young, they and they were inexperienced, and they had a lot of new faces over there. Uh, I think defensively, in particular, it wasn't quite up to the program standard, or at least our expectations. But I think that, again, that's where some of the youth and inexperience come up, and we see that group take a step forward. They have a very, very interesting quarterback battle with Charlie Brewer coming in from Baylor, Jaquindon Jackson coming in from Texas, Cameron Rising and Peter Costelli are still there. I don't have a read on handicapping that one, but Brewer is somebody that we have seen be successful, and Jackson is a player who, you know, depending on, but I'll obviously uh, love to hear from you here on on Jackson, but I I remember um, Barton being uh, excited about Jaquindon Jackson. And so, you know, depending on his ceiling and, and where you see him being at, that either one of those options could make the offense a lot more interesting, especially when you look at the running back room. TJ Pledger comes in from Oklahoma. Chris Curry, who did a great job uh, starting or play, uh, leading the team in rushing when Clyde Edwards-Elair was a little bit banged up against Oklahoma in the Peach Bowl a few years ago. So Chris Curry from LSU, TJ Pledger from Oklahoma. I, I see of all the teams in the Pac-12 South, if there's a team that is going to be taking a, a step forward or building on what we saw last year, I kind of think Utah would be where I would saddle up. I would declare Utah as the biggest threat to USC winning the division. And I think a lot of it is the combination of of the transfers that you've got coming in and the defense in particular taking a big step forward. I'm excited about this group. See, I thought the defense was pretty good last year. Thought so? Yeah, as far as like, I think... They weren't great in the red zone, and I think that probably inflates the stats a little bit. But if you just look at the points per drive allowed, they were actually second in the conference at only 1.81, which is right behind Arizona State at 1.79. So I think overall the defense was fine. It was also a very young defense because I remember like the defense going into the season was a concern because they had been great in 2019 and they'd lost a bunch. I, I was pleasantly surprised. So maybe my expectations are clouding what I remember seeing of it. But And they played at pace more, Tom. Like yeah. last year, and their opponents, they played at pace like crazy. Like they were, they were bottom ten in the country in, in terms of drives faced. Like they had to defend a lot more drives than they normally would. Yeah, so I, I think that defense is probably going to be pretty solid at in twenty twenty one. I, I think that quarterbacks better because oh god, I we remember before the season started last year, my feelings about Jake Bentley. And I never, <laughs> I was never shy about that. Jake Bentley's gone. So I think that we're going to be a, see a better situation at quarterback for the Utes this year. Charlie Brewer's coming in, isn't it too? Like from Baylor? Yeah, he's, he's the, the presumptive starter there. Yeah. So 
I don't know. I, I think a lot of this is going to depend on the quarterback and what they can do offensively. Cause I do think defensively they're still going to be in. I think special teams wise, Utah is always pretty solid on special teams. So I think they're going to be solid there. So yeah, chip, I, I get what you're, I get where you're coming from where this is kind of like, again, the quote unquote dark horse team in the South. I think that they could pose problems for USC and another team that I would probably consider to be more of a favorite that we haven't gotten to yet. That's foreshadowing. Uh, I, <laughs> I would say, uh, first of all, I mean, we we need to acknowledge you know Ty Jordan's untimely death due to an accidental gunshot uh, back at, back in his home state of Texas in, in the off season. So, I mean, obviously tragic for you know Utah and his family. Um, as far as the transfers that they took, right? Like body type wise, Utah is going for some thick boys here. Like Chris Curry, TJ Pledger are like you know five ten two and a quarter type build dudes. They they clearly want want to pound the rock there. Uh, at Utah, and I, I think they should be able to, to do so. I, I saw Curry a lot. He's actually from you know Fort Myers area, uh, and so got to see him a lot in person. He's he's a good back. And there's a reason he left LSU. I think mostly you know competition there. There's it's hard to start at LSU, but he, he's he's no doubt pretty good. I I do have some questions about Charlie Brewer. Um, I was never really in love with him in 2019, despite the fact that Baylor did go to the Big 12 title game. I don't think he's necessarily like a next level quarterback prospect, but at the same time, I don't really believe he's quite as bad as he showed uh, last year. I, I think there were some things going on with that Baylor offense that really uh, hurt everybody. I mean, it almost has to be, right? Like, the, Larry Fedora has never had an offense anywhere close to that bad, and they, they made a bunch of changes you know, in the offseason. I think receiver is, a, is an opportunity for Utah to step up quite a bit this year. And I'm focusing mainly on offense because their defense brings back, like, everybody, mm. and they're going to be really, really damn good, I think. But they, they get uh, uh, Puka Nasua and Solomon Ennis to transfer in. Both those guys are, are pretty proven type playmakers. Jalen Dixon decided to not transfer out despite being in the transfer portal. So that's pretty big for them. Um, I think – oh, and, and what's his name? Uh, Coven. Britton Coven's still there. So I feel like they're in a much better spot receiver-wise, and that should help them get the ball down the field a little bit more, which was something they really struggled to do last year. Uh, they were actually uh, – Dead last in the nation uh, at passes to outside receivers. So. 127. Buck 27. Yeah, because remember, <laughs> three teams didn't play. Na- UConn Huskies, New York Times, national champions. Uh, so, yeah, that's kind of – defense, I don't have any real thoughts. They're going to be awesome, I think. Yeah, I mean, they, that, and that's where I think, you know, two things come to mind when I think of Utah. I think of an identity, uh, you know, strong defense – with and Bud, you're talking about what guys are going through the portal. Like that's all I always think about Utah is just thick dudes on the defensive line, outstanding defensive line play, some of the best in the Pac-12, and they're building on that. So the defense, I'm not worried about. I'm more bullish on Charlie Brewer. I like what I saw from him. You put him with a little bit better surroundings around him and ask him not to do as much and kind of, you know, manage the game with a good defense. Uh, you know, it'll be interesting to see how that quarterback battle plays out. But I feel like Utah is that team that we always kind of overlook because they don't have as much talent as the top teams in the country. And yet they pretty much consistently overperform expectations or they're always right there in the end, kind of in the hunt. And I mean, Kyle Whittingham has done there has been pretty phenomenal. Like, I feel like they're the Wisconsin, the Pac-12, maybe like they just don't get the respect because they haven't got over the hump and made a playoff or done something spectacular. But I feel like they're a consistent winner. So I think it all depends on, you know, and it's like you said, it's about a lot of teams that we've talked about is how does the quarterback battle play out and how much uh, how much they get out of that quarterback. That's a great analogy, Danny. 
I mean, we're, we're, right? the Wisconsin of the Pac-12. Like, I, mm-hmm. I that that is kind of what you know what Utah is, right? Like, they maximize. They're better than all these blue blood teams that you think should be better than them. They play nasty defense. They run the football. They don't throw the football well enough to to actually compete for a national title or you know win a game in the playoff. But like, that's that's pretty good. Um, Jaquindon Jackson chips since you yes. mentioned, I forgot. Really, really good athlete. As a quarterback, I thought he was kind of raw as a thrower. Uh, I think one of the reasons why Barton was probably high on him is because you know Tom Herman, famous for the QB run game stuff. You know Ur- Urban Meyer disciple really you know did a lot of QB run game stuff when, when he led his team to the national title as the OC uh, at Ohio State and ran the hell out of Sam Ellinger early on in his career. I I think he Utah is a better fit for him than what Steve Sarkeesian is going to run at Texas. So I totally understand the transfer. I think his upside is actually pretty high if they're able to develop his arm because athletically, I mean, the, the guy's a freak. So you're getting in Brewer for now and Jackson maybe for the future. Yeah. And by the way, I know that Pledger and Curry are not 225. Don't, don't give us three or four star reviews for that. But they're like, if you look at them, they're both, they're both, you know, hashtag thick. Two C's. Yeah. Right. <laughs> CBS sports is your home as always. Do, 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 dling, 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 dling. To watch DJ, Brooks, Rory, and all of the action unfold at Augusta. Whether you're looking to watch on the range, featured groups, Amen Corner, holes 15 and 16, all four rounds, and of course, even the CBS broadcast over the weekend. It's all available on CBSSports.com, the CBS Sports mobile app, and Paramount+. Plus. Pimento cheese sandwiches not included, but we're working on that for next year. Again, we're talking on the range, featured groups, Amen Corner, Holes 15 and 16, and the actual broadcast for all four rounds. You can get it on CBSSports.com the CBS Sports mobile app, and on Paramount+. Plus, CBS Sports HQ will have you with updates right before the featured groups go off. Top of the hour coverage. Catch me on there. Pimento cheese on my face. Just getting into it Thursday to Sunday. If you want to watch the action, uh, on the range, featured groups, Amen Corner, 15 and 16, CBSSports.com, CBS Sports mobile app, and Paramount+. Plus. It's the Masters, a tradition unlike any other on CBS. Coming up on the other side, hello, you hear that sound? Look at my socks. It's Herm, Arizona State, plus UCLA and Arizona, next. The perfect combination of versatile athleisure and training apparel has arrived. Thanks to the visionary minds of New Balance, Clutch Athletics, and Rich Paul, the designs reflect the heart of the athlete and the spirit of the community. With rising defensive football stars Will Anderson and Chase Young on the roster, Clutch Athletics brings the best innovative gear to all athletes, giving them style and performance on and off the field. Learn more and purchase Clutch Athletics at NewBalance.com. Knowing how to speak and understand a new language can be an invaluable tool when traveling, meeting new friends, or just even to master a new skill. But it's not always simple when you're bogged down by textbooks and structure classes. That's why so many people trust Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program, available on desktop or as an app. It truly immerses you in the language you want to learn, like Spanish, French, Italian, Chinese, and more. 
You won't just be studying English translations. The Rosetta Stone intuitive process helps you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com rs10. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com rs10 today. So we've got year three of Jaden Daniels at Arizona State, a player who immediately uh, stepped onto the field and made an impression, had a lot of us excited uh, with his freshman season. Then Arizona State had uh, a little, listen, like so many of these teams, especially in the Pac-12, it was a little bit disjointed, man. It was tough. It, it wasn't really uh, a coherent, like you can't connect the dots uh, or the data points from Arizona State's season. They did finish two and two. And so uh, I think that when you're looking around, you've got a defense that played really well last year. You probably that are not drawn to any one of the, the wide receivers or skill position players, maybe being like, that's the guy. Maybe y'all are. Be curious to hear if you are. But when you've got uh, the way that Arizona State has been recruiting, the way that that coaching staff has been doing player development, if you got Jaden Daniels and if you got a really good defense, then you've got a chance to be able to win the Pac-12 South. And so I do think that this is, you know, I mentioned Utah and we were talking about this big group, like Arizona State could wind up in the Pac-12 title game very, very easily. So uh, where what has your attention for Arizona State this spring. This is my Pac-12 South contender over Utah. I just, we Arizona State's 2020 season, throw it out, means nothing to me. Like, this was a team that started late, had COVID hit at the very beginning of the year, so they played, like, the one game to open their season against, uh, against USC. They lose 28-27. And then they're off for another month right? because of COVID before they're actually able to start playing again. So they only played four games. They had like two COVID disruptions during the season. They were missing players. Nothing that happened last year matters to me. What matters to me is that you have a strong argument for the best quarterback in the conference in Jaden Daniels. You're going to have a solid defense. Zach Hill came in as the offensive coordinator last year was not able to get anything put in because there was no spring practice. There was no summer practice. There really was barely any fall practice before the Pac-12 started, and then everything gets shut down. So now he's coming in with his offense. They actually have a chance to implement it. We saw Jaden Daniels in the limited time he did play take on more of an element with his legs to go with his arms. So he's more of a dual threat, which makes that offense a little more dynamic, a little scarier than it already was. I just look at this team, and I think that if there is any team that can really compete with USC to win the division that I feel the most confident about, it's the Sun Devils. I, I think this is I'm probably going to be like a, a, a Sun Devil stand all season long. Forks up. I wouldn't hate it if you are. I love it. Like I, I've been rooting for Herm Edwards, uh, uh, Antonio Pierce, guys that worked with the ESPN and you know, talked to them once a week. They'd come on our show and Love them. Like, and I think, you know, hey, give them a chance was my message. But I do think, because most people were ripping it, like, what is happening? This is going to be an absolute disaster. And it's been, any, it's been far from that. 
it felt like last year was going to be the year that they would kind of come together. And then, of course, we know COVID happened. Jaden Daniels has been awesome. Uh, he protects the football. You mentioned the run game. Uh, they really did kind of go back to an emphasis more on the run, led the Pac-12 in rushing. Um, they've been recruiting outstandingly well. Herm is a great motivator. Like, I do feel like this should be the year that they should push, although it's not my sleeper contender. I got one we still haven't talked about yet. So, I, but I do think, like, this kind of speaks to the wild nature of the Pac-12. And Chip was alluding to you might have a bunch of teams that are kind of bunched up together with a similar record at the end of the season. But if one kind of can separate itself, win some of these close games, because uh, Tom, you mentioned the USC game, like losing, they should have won that game. Like that was a disastrous late game collapse. And if they didn't lose that game, you know, they could have been easily, even with it, they could have went four and oh, you know, like it, cause they could have won the UCLA game too. Like, and they crushed uh, Arizona. We all saw that when Kevin Sumlin gets fired because of that game. Like they've, they looked really good last year. It's just nobody appreciated because it was a shortened season. So I'm, I'm bullish on this team too. All right. You guys know me, you know, like I, I hate senselessly running the ball just cause you're supposed to do it. But if you're going to run the ball 73% of the time on first down, at least be this damn good at it because they really <laughs> ran. They ran the heck out of the ball. Like I, I'm, an, I, I'll allow it. If you are second nationally in rushing success rate, first in efficiency, first in explosiveness, first in opportunity rate created. Like that's pretty. Yeah, go ahead and just just keep running that ball. That sounds great. Um, how do they take the next step though? For me, they have to be a little bit better at receiver on the outside. Uh, they they had problems throwing the ball last year. I think part of that too was. Their pass protection relative, like they were pretty damn good running the football and they have good backs. Obviously, you know, DeMonte's pretty nice. But man, they were like, what are they, 121st in havoc rate allowed? That's not something you typically see in a team that runs the football as good as they do. So their pass protection stuff last year was was really a concern. And I think part of that was was you know, Jaden Daniels holding the ball to try to wait for some of these receivers to get open, and they didn't really get open. Um, I like their tight ends. We'll see you know, how much they're able to, to develop the guys they brought back at receiver, uh, but you got to get some passing game there. The other thing is you, you talk about like the value of the run game. They were one of the worst run defenses in the whole country. And yet their defense overall was pretty damn good because they were so good at not allowing explosive passes. And we're seeing over and over again, that's kind of the differentiator, right? Like you can be sort of have all these red cells on your spreadsheet, but if that one's green, your overall defensive rating is going to be pretty damn good because you're forcing teams to drive on you you're winning some some ball, you know balls and, and some battles in the red zone, playing red zone roulette. They did that, and they should be just as good this year in the back end, I think. I mean, Chase Lucas and Jack Jones are nasty. Uh, my, yeah, I guess my only real two couple questions are offensive line, defensive line stopping the run, and then they got to find somebody at receiver. UCLA went three and four. The million-dollar meal table. Gave some, uh, gave, gave some little flashes uh, there for Chip Kelly's team. Dorian Thompson-Robinson and most of the offense is back, but Demetric Felton's departure puts a lot of carries on the table for someone to step up and grab. Danny, unless you're taking Arizona as the team that you're squadding up with in the Pac-12 South, <laughs> set, sounds like you're with the Bruins. What do you like about uh, them this year? I like what I saw out of them last year. I think their record is incredibly misleading. Every game they were in was a one-possession game. Um, they should have won their last two games, USC and Stanford. USC, they lost to by five. Stanford was a double overtime loss at the end. 
I just feel like this team is it's like Chip Kelly has finally kind of got a full off season kind of you should because Dorian Thompson Robinson was a young quarterback who's been cutting his teeth. You feel like you're waiting on him to make the next step, but he's pretty dynamic. Um I I just I I like this team. DTR really did take like he looked a lot better last year. Mm-hmm. than the guy I remembered seeing the first couple of years. So if that if that continues, if that progresses again in 2021, then yeah, I, I think this is a UCLA team that's destined to have a better season than the one it had. And I think that, you know, that million dollar meal table, you know, that's that's an edge that not everybody <laughs> else has in in the conference. But this is we saw last year, like it I wasn't sure early when they had that success in because that very first game of the year where it was on like the Sunday morning against Cal. I first kind of wrote that off like, okay, this is stupid. This is just the dumb result. Nothing matters. But again, as they went along, things you saw some consistency. It wasn't overall great from start to finish, but you saw reasons to be optimistic because I remember for Chip Kelly's first season, like the way that the team was playing on the field and the stuff you were hearing about off the field, it was like, oh God, this is going to be a disaster. And this was a hire that I had liked when it first made, but I was like, uh oh, I was I was wrong about this one. But I think things are starting to trend back in the same direction. Now off the field, I do still worry about what they're doing in the recruiting it wise and bringing that talent in and how that's going to impact them long-term. But I do think for 2021, there are reasons to be optimistic about this roster and what it can do. I'm not going to go as far as you are, Danny. I don't think it's a legitimate contender to win the division, but I do think that in the PAC 12 South in particular, where there really never seems to be since USC has been in this down kind of turn where nobody ever really takes this division by the throat and just chokes the life out of everybody else. I can't rule it out. I'm kind of in between Danny and Tom they're not my pick to win the division, but unless USC takes another step forward, I think UCLA should be in the range where they, they can win the division, right? I think there's probably four teams that can win the division and two, one team that I think definitely can't. And then, Colorado, if they smoke and mirrors this thing again and manage to win the division, uh, that we need to have Carl Durrell on the show for sure to, to, to explain himself. Um, I I have a couple questions about UCLA, right? Number one, how much extra crazy stuff are they going to run? Because they're like the most experienced team in all the Power Five, and you know Chip Kelly has such great scheme diversity. They they might have such like such a good familiarity with what he wants to run already that they can run a lot of different unique stuff. I'm, I'm very fascinated to see what their in-game adjustments and, and week-to-week adjustments and changes are. They really might be like that, you know, pickup team that like in seven-on-seven that, that you're like, wait, they have no prospects, but they practice together all the time. They run all these different plays. They're, they're really in step with each other. Um, they lose Dimitri Felton, though, and yeah. he was really good. I threw the ball at him a lot, too. Like, he's a damn good player. I, like, can Zach Charbonnet, the, the Michigan transfer, or Britton Brown step up and be that guy? Uh, outside receiver, they got to get some help. Like, thank God for Utah if you're a UCLA fan, because otherwise you would have been the team in the conference that had the worst production with the outside receivers. At the offensive line, though, like it's going to be really, really good. They bring back basically everybody. Sean Ryan's like like an all conference level player, maybe better. That's like the one or one of the, the best recruits that, that Chips you know got there so far. They should have a lot of time to throw the football. Um, their run D was really bad too. Like not actually a little bit worse than Arizona State in some games. But they bring back like almost everybody. So they should be pretty damn good. I I could see this team really giving people some fits. The Arizona Wildcats went 0-5, got thumped in the Territorial Cup by Arizona State. Kevin Sumlin 
out and a Jed fish was hired to take over. And I don't know. I don't know about you guys, but I don't know. And it's the kind of, I don't know that might come to bite me in the same way that I was looking at Carl Durrell's Colorado going into last season and being like, Oh yeah, just, I mean, put them sixth, Right. But I, I think that I could put them sixth in the PAC 12 South and feel pretty confident that they're not going to Colorado 2020 this thing. I've got no clue uh, where you're looking for the Wildcats and being like, here we go. This, this was a great hire. We're going to turn things around and we are going to see the results because in addition to my total lack of understanding of what is uh, what we've got in terms of this football team, you've got a division where the other five teams all have good things to talk about. They've all got things that we've been able to hang our hat on. And so where are the wins coming from? What's our expectation for Arizona? Can we play a game? Sure. All right, let's play everybody's favorite game show. Can you name a statistical category that Arizona did not finish outside the top 100 in nationally last year? Let's, let's start there. My screen losses. is all red. <laughs> yeah, losses. But not by winning percentage because they're <laughs> penalty yards. Uh, yeah, okay. Chip got it. I win. Oh. Nice. I, look, I don't know what to think about Arizona. Like, I agree with Chip that they're pretty, I'm pretty sure they're sixth, right? Kevin Sumlin was a bad hire. It was a bad hire at the time. He should have taken some time off, re, you know, kind of regrouped, and then got back in the coaching game, I think. I don't know why they they made that hire, but they did. I think that's going to set their program back a little bit because it, it feels like Arizona State kind of nailed their hire with Herm Edwards. Um, but I also don't – like, did this team quit on Kevin Sumlin last year, basically preseason? Like, were they just kind of going through the motions? Because I, I have a hard time thinking that a, a P5 team at Arizona is basically like, outside the top 100 in everything I don't, you see what I'm saying? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. do you guys buy that they're this bad or was it like COVID our coach is getting fired? We know he's getting fired. And well, it's also a small sample size. Like, you know, you only, only five games are our only data points. And if, if you imagine that they saw writing on the wall, they knew where this thing was headed. Then even if only two or three games were quit factor, that's half the season. I mean, they were running more plays than most teams in the country, and they finished scoring 10, 13, and 7 points. Like, 70 to, to 7. Do. Yeah. Against your state rival. That was a Can quit. It be both. Can it be both? They were bad, and they quit. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's what it looked like to me. I worry about this team because I don't know about the hire of Fish. Uh, he's a career, you know, journeyman coach who's been around, kind of waiting for his opportunity. Feels like he's trying to capture some of the magic that Herm did, you know, bringing back NFL guys, bringing back ties to the program with Ricky Hundley and Chuck Cecil, Teddy Bruschi, special advisor to the head coach. Like you're trying to revive a fan base, which is all good and it's probably smart, but I don't know. I don't. I don't have much confidence that this is going to work um that being said like i like i'd love to see it work i don't want to see anybody fail i just think this is going to be kind of a work in process that probably more likely than not you'll see turnover in three to four years yeah i you touched on something there danny that i feel like has been part of the problem for a while because like arizona state made the herm edwards hire and at the time, it was mostly panned by a lot of us, but it also generated a lot of buzz. 
And I think then Arizona unexpectedly gets rid of Rich Rod and they see the buzz that their, you know, state rivals brought in. They're like, okay, we need to bring in a name. And I think that helps Kevin Sumlin get the job because, you know, hey, he had Johnny Manziel, Texas A&M. People know who he is. He's an excellent recruiter, swag copter. Going to get that same kind of buzz going. Obviously, the programs have gone in two different directions since. But now they bring in a new coach. And like you just mentioned, doing the same kind of buzz that Arizona State does and bringing in alumni and trying to bring back, you know, the old whatever to get things going. And maybe it'll work for them as well as it's working for Arizona State. It's just I feel like there's a little too much of mirroring going on with your rival. And I feel like I don't know if that's going to work. And I think if I'm an Arizona fan this year, Chip, I you mentioned like Colorado's 2020. That's possible. I don't think it's likely in a full nine-game Pac-12 schedule. I think that Arizona is probably going to be the team that finishes in last place in this division, and it's probably going to be the team that most fans of other Pac-12 schools look at on the schedule this year and say, that's a win. And that doesn't mean they're not going to get a couple wins. I'm sure they will. It's just if I'm an Arizona fan, my focus for 2020 or 2021 season is, all right, let's see what this staff does on the recruiting trail. Because this is pretty much a complete annihilation and start over. Because like I feel like the first couple spring practices for Arizona this year are going to be more of like mixers, getting to know all the new faces. Because it's an entirely new coaching staff. If you go through the recruiting class, I think they've got about three thousand transfers coming in. Hopefully, you know that are probably going to be playing right away. There's a lot of new people on this team that weren't there last year. So. It's it's kind of a ragtag group, and it's going to be interesting. I don't think it's going to be a very fun season for Arizona, but again, I don't think your focus should be on 2021. I think my focus, if I'm a Wildcat fan, is on 2022, 2023, and hopefully seeing signs and reasons to be optimistic. I will say they actually did get their quarterback commit who, who they were after uh, over the weekend. So uh, Noah Fafita is, is a kid out of Servite in Anaheim. Jed Fish has a lot of experience in, in SoCal. He, he knows the quarterback scene there. So, I look, I, I think it does say something when you're a, a coach who's very QB-centric and you go out and you ID the guy uh, that you want and then you, know, you actually land. It doesn't always work out for you, uh, like, national championship-wise, but like certainly that that's a positive sign, I think, for Arizona. Also, I don't know if you guys saw this. Do you know who their defensive coordinator is? Don Brown. Don, Don Brown. Don Brown. To me, that that screams this team could get massively blown out in some games, but they'll probably <laughs> clip somebody who who doesn't properly ha- like prep and, and, and handle the blitz, and the offense doesn't turn it over too many times. Uh, I was reading uh, Jason Shares' practice reports over at Wildcat Authority. Looks like Gunnar Cruz is actually uh, going to be the <sighs> the presumptive starter there, the Washington State transfer. I'm. I'm interested to see what this team can do. They they did take a lot of transfers. I still think they're probably, you know, the the number six team in the conference, but it or in the, the division. Excuse me. Would it totally shock you guys if uh, if they finish in like a a, a two way tie with Colorado for the bottom? No, no. I think they're. I mean, I think you get two and seven, and I think that could be good enough. It's just, I think, <laughs> yeah. No, I think that's not unlikely at all. I wouldn't bet on it, but. I'm also, I'm also. Do they offer that prop anywhere? Like, <laughs> like what are the odds on finish tied for sick or fifth in your division? With, <laughs> I think that that's a, like if you go to your sports book and you ask them for that, they're probably going to flag your account and it's going to like next time you log in, it's going to be like max bet nine dollars on anything college football. Like <laughs> if have, you're thinking that deeply about college football, they probably don't don't want that action. 
Uh, I have I have an account with a book that does let you request bets. Maybe I'll request my first one this afternoon. <laughs> Let's go. If you have a friend who has an account, maybe you should have him do it. Uh, <laughs> do we have any bets on the Pac-12 here? What, what kind of odds could I get on Arizona to win the South or Arizona State to win the South? Ooh. Probably like three to one. Okay, let's do it. Who's playing the house? Bud, are you playing house on that one? I'll play house, sure. Okay. All right. I'll give Tom three to one on that. Anybody else want in? Uh, yeah, I'll get in on the house. Okay. And winning the South is uh, in the Pac-12 championship game? Yes. Yeah. Okay. So ties ties don't cut it. Whatever, whatever no, the Pac-12. No, you, you got to be in the title game. Yeah, yeah. you got to be in the title game. Yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll get in on the house side of that. Let's cool. go against the world How here we go trojans <laughs> hubert davis unc any any thoughts here at the end of this cover three college football podcast i think you're the one that should be offering yeah thoughts. where was he at let, let, let's ask chip the question <laughs> um he, oh no he was the assistant coach at unc yeah mm-hmm. has been since 2012 he was the he's the jv coach that's where they yep. train him roy Williams. house one yeah. of the family that's right and oh, he was co- on the college ESPN basketball for a while. mafias are like they're unbelievable. What do you mean? Like just the staying in the family. Like I thought football was bad with getting a Michigan man and you know like having to find somebody that's from the family. College basketball is way worse. I thought that uh, I-, I thought that if if Mark Few won it all, that what else are you going to do at Gonzaga? Maybe he would take North Carolina, and I think that that is a more uh, you know instant plug-and-play type situation for North Carolina. But, you know, Hubert Davis, you've got a longer runway for. So mm-hmm. you're trying to hope that he can build it up. And, uh, and hey, you know, if, uh, if Juwan Howard at Michigan, if Patrick Ewing at Georgetown, if all these old alumni are, are getting it done at, uh, at their schools, now, now we've got an, another one here. Should be interesting. Watch CBS Sports HQ. Uh, Matt Norlander and Gary Parrish are on right now uh, discussing the hire. We'll say shout out to Chris Holtman and his agent because Chris Holtman like reportedly interviewed for every coaching job that was available this offseason. <laughs> they, they say that Chris Holtman doesn't get enough credit. I say he gets exactly the amount of credit. He's the head basketball coach at Ohio State. Yeah, He's got a top 10 job. <laughs> You've got the salary and the credit that you deserve. Enough of the college basketball minute here on the Cover 3 podcast. <laughs> He is Tom Fernell. You can follow him on Twitter at Tom Fernell. You can follow him at Danny Cannell. You can follow him at Bud Elliott 3. You can follow me at Chip underscore Patterson. Gentlemen, thank you very much. Thank you. Picture this, it's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road, the steeper the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. 
We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. 